This is Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure. I am Eric. And I'm Chris. And this week we are diving into one of your picks. So since it's your turn, I'll let you do a little intro on what we're talking about. All right. Uh, today we are talking about Star Wars Darth Vader, uh, the Marvel one from, was it 2015? Yeah, the 2015 volume um, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Salvador La Roca. Uh, issues one through six, although I think we're mostly focusing on three through six. Yeah, mostly gonna be excited to get to those droids. But before we dive into murder robots, uh, real quick, as you said, we have Gillen and LaRocca, and then just to finish out our roll call real quick, we have Edgar Delgado, uh, VCs Joe Caramagna on lettering, and then Addie Granov is the cover artist. So, basically, this was part of the initial launch of, like, Marvel getting the Star Wars license back after the Disney buyout of Lucasfilm and the Disney buyout of Marvel. So now they just have everything Disney owns is just done by Marvel Comics. That's why we've got Alien Comics these days after the Fox buyout being published by Marvel. This is my favorite of the three series that initially came out. Uh, It's set for context, if you are a Star Wars fan, right after A New Hope. So this is like Vader having come back to the Empire after barely surviving the Death Star being destroyed and being thrown off into space. And in fact, the only survivor of the largest military disaster in Imperial history. And the overall story of this entire little run uh, is basically Vader regaining prominence and a position of power um, leading into Empire Strikes Back, where he's, like, actually the commander of the Imperial military, which if you watch and you hope he isn't. So I have seen the Star Wars films, but I have not seen these old ones in well over a decade probably even like 15 years but just speaking as a relative novice you know i am not a big star wars fan i mostly have cultural osmosis knowledge i still found these like pretty easy to jump into essentially of this just taking place after the original really i feel like all you would need to know to understand these is just what it tells you and that Darth Vader got his ass kicked, and now the Emperor is not happy with him, so now he has to work on getting his reputation back. Like, um, I suppose, what do you think in terms of how it's straddling, like, continuity and trying to fit in within it and being, like, a tie-in comic? I think it's really effective. Like, I, the reason I picked this was because I think this run is one of the best examples of, in terms of the writing, how to write a media tie-in comic that, like, it's very dancing between raindrops. You've got the the two movies either side, and this book essentially has to tell a story of some kind in this gap. And basically, for, from what I've read in interviews, Kieran Gillen sat down and realized that the story was, well, it doesn't make sense for Darth Vader to be the leader of the Imperial Navy in Empire Strikes Back when he had just like fucked up real bad (laughs) and failed to protect the death star at the end of the last movie so there's a story there and figured out what to do with that 
And then it also uh, introduces, like, new characters. Like, most of the stuff we see in these six issues, indeed in the whole series, is new stuff to the franchise and new characters. Um, Boba Fett shows up for, like, three pages. Um, General Taj was a guy in one scene in A New Hope. But other than that, it's like, well, okay, Jabba's Palace as well. But other than that, it's mostly just new stuff. It's an interesting choice in terms of the difficulty of like dancing between the two movies like you said because on one hand if you use new characters then those are a little less constrained in terms of like you know you obviously can't just end vader's arc wherever you want here because he has to be in place for the movie and same with like luke and leia and all of them you can't do anything that's going to contradict where they are in the second movie or going forward after that versus new characters you can kind of do whatever but that sort of loops around and does the double edge of, well, if you introduce a new character, you also are kind of introducing the question of, well, why aren't they in the movie if it's in continuity sort of thing? But this just from the jump is just like, this is Darth Vader's little secret force. This is not the head of the army. This is who he puts together to kind of help him fuck with the other Sith a little bit. Yeah, and... I will say by the end of this run, all of those new characters are not hanging out with Vader anymore, and it does make sense why they aren't all in the middle of Empire Strikes Back. Um, except for, I guess, maybe Black Chrysanthemum should have been with the like group of bounty hunters in that movie, considering his uh, Boba Fett, who's like works with him in this story, is. But I don't know, maybe they explain that. He might have been in Aphra's stuff, because I think Aphra's got a series that's set during empire strikes back but yeah yeah first thing that's immediately attention grabbing in issue one is that they still do the star wars film title crawl even though it's a comic there's still like free pages or just nothing but text uh the like long title crawl itself also even has just like starry background behind it um, it's using the same sort of bold yellow typeface that you'd expect from the movie, the angling of the text. Because it's just a 2D page, it's not actually in motion, but they managed to replicate it as well as they could in terms of just like the column sort of widening more and more as it goes down, signaling like the top text going up and away from the viewer and getting smaller while the bottom sort of fades in. And yeah, like... I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I've never been a fan of the now mandatory Marvel recap pages, but this one I think works and at least makes more sense than most of them, and that, well, if we're doing a Star Wars comic, there's so much Star Wars, it actually makes sense to take a minute in issue one and tell us where we're at. It's also fun because this one, um, since it's Darth Vader's comic, is from the point of view of the Empire. Um, so they refer to the Death Star as the Empire's ultimate peacekeeping force, um, rather than a monstrous weapon designed to obliterate planets. Lots of phrases like deterrent and the rule of law and just Kieran Gillen, it is very clear, does not lose sight of the fact that these are space Nazis, which I sometimes worry about with some Star Wars fans where I look and I go... Y'all aren't very intelligent and literate, are you? 
Um, I mean, for context, in the original movie, the Rebel Alliance is a metaphor for the Viet Cong, and the Empire is the United States of America. So, yeah, there's there's politics in Star Wars, shockingly, and to the detriment of all sane Star Wars fans, so many fucking people won't. Anyway, moving on, um, we. Cut from that to uh, Jabba's palace, where Darth Vader enters. Um, if you've seen Return of the Jedi, it's literally just like a recreation of the scene where Luke enters Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. The same sort of shots and sequence, except in this case, Vader murders his way in past the guards rather than just like... Actually, Luke force chokes them, so never mind. Luke kills those fuckers too. Um, no mind trick on the, um, oh my god, I normally remember this guy's name. The weird-looking dude with the snaky ponytail and the two bumps on his head. Uh, Jabba, uh, that guy. I can't remember his name right now. I absolutely won't be able to help with the names in this episode. The characters in this whose names I already knew were Jabba and Salacious Crumb. And I feel happy with myself that I knew Miss Crumb. That's about it. <laughs> Salacious Crumb is wonderful. Um, that's going to bother me because he shows up in Book of Boba Fett. and Well, no, he shows up in Mandalorian for like two seconds just to get slaughtered by Boba Fett. And they say his name a bunch in Book of Boba Fett. But then again, that show was bad. So anyway, point is, um, Vader has a scene which basically he's threatening Jabba and like you're not dealing with a Jedi I'm not a Jedi I'm a Sith and like the the difference between the way that he and Luke sort of engage with this with Jabba and like try to deal with him like very clearly illustrates where Vader is at this point which is he's fully embraced by the in the dark side this is not an Anakin Skywalker who is regretting his choice to be an evil fascist and we at no point are going to deal with him questioning that decision. Um, he questions his loyalty to the Emperor many times, but not his loyalty to evil fascist dictatorism in general. Yeah, it's like the conflicts here really aren't moral ones of like internal strife so much as it's like, when I say that like internal within the person, so much as it's like internal within the... The Sith, I guess, would that just be the proper term to use to refer to the whole thing as just, like, the Sith? Um, between the Emperor and Vader, they're the only two Sith. Okay. So, uh, the Empire, or, um, yeah. I, I guess here's time for a Star Wars 101 question. What's a Sith actually mean? <laughs> um, it is a specific type of evil Jedi. I will say... The Rise of Skywalker, fuck you, The Rise of Skywalker, bad movie, has made this a bit more confusing because I think they refer to Kylo Ren as a Sith in that, which, like, he's very distinctly not a Sith, um, even though he wears black and has a red lightsaber because all evil Jedi wear black and have a red lightsaber. The Sith specifically are a specific religion following the dark side of the Force. They have a lot of specific rules about themselves, like the rule of two, meaning you can only have two of them at any time, the Master and the Apprentice, and it's the Apprentice's job to learn from the Master until he's pissed off enough to kill the Master, and then he has to take on an Apprentice. Palpatine is a very bad Sith because he really doesn't want his Apprentice to eventually kill him, but Sith are, like, supposed to accept that because the whole idea is they're supposed to improve, 
and get revenge on the Jedi because the Jedi destroyed the Sith Empire back in the day. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Admittedly, Palpatine did that. They killed he 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 turned Anakin and killed the Jedi. But like there are other force users who are evil people who are technically not Sith, but admittedly it can be hard to tell. Okay. But yeah, this is all like Vader's sort of attempting to rebuild his status after the fuck up with the Death Star and everything. It's very like him and Palpatine at the very top, but also I think some of the fun is his sort of like rivalries with the other characters that Palpatine is sort of like elevating in his stead. It's very much like disgraced Darth Vader, kind of literally entirely on his own, just trying to build his way back up. Yeah, um, I like the politics aspect of this and like the, the underlings fighting for Palpatine's favor. And then obviously by the end of this six issues, Vader will have come to the conclusion, which we see in Empire Strikes Back. He wants to overthrow the Emperor, uh, but just to be, you know, a dictator himself. And this is where, like, this six-issue arc is where he comes to that decision. But uh, we cut to a day earlier where um, Vader is on Coruscant with the Emperor, and the Emperor is chewing him out for... Not only the massive fuck-up of a Death Star, but an entirely additional massive fuck-up also caused by Han, Leia, and Luke over in the Star Wars comic. I think the first issue, which would have been out before the first issue of this during the launch, so this is like a little interconnected thing. Um, Jordan D. White, who uh, is the head editor in the X office right now for X-Men, was head editor of this, and it's got... Certainly the early stuff has similar moments where you'll have, like, very explicit tie-ins between issues and events and everything's connected and to an extent without being, like, a literal crossover. And this is... Vader had shown up in that first issue and had lost. So the Emperor's real pissed off and has taken a general... I want to say Taj, T-A-G-G-E. Uh, Star Wars fans send us an angry message if... I'm pronouncing that wrong, but I'm going to say Taj, who is a one-scene character from A New Hope uh, to be the head of the Imperial Navy because he is, I guess, technically the only other person who survived the Death Star, but it's just because his ship had, like, left and had already flown away before the Death Star, like, destroyed Alderaan, apparently. Um, and Taj was, like, the Imperial guy who was like, this Death Star seems like a huge drain of resources to put into one thing. And if this gets blown up, we might be in trouble. Uh, meanwhile, there's a mysterious man with half a reptile face and, like, robot bits who the Emperor refuses to tell Darth Vader about. And Vader then chooses to not tell the Emperor about the events of A New Hope where he faces off against Obi-Wan Kenobi and kills him. Or feeling that the Force is strong with Luke when Luke was destroying the Death Star. Or his encounter with Luke in Star Wars number one, where he realizes that Luke is carrying his lightsaber, Vader's lightsaber, from when Vader was Anakin Skywalker, and that Obi-Wan had for some reason given this blonde idiot Anakin's lightsaber. On the topic of Anakin and the events of A New Hope, we get these sort of like flashback panels wherein the characters from those films are shown, and the way they're drawn is very clearly drawing upon their movie likenesses, uh, like the facial structures of the actual actors and everything. And I just don't like them. 
it's not bad in the sense that they don't look like the people because they do but i don't know if there's just something not quite right or if there's just something not fully being transferred and trying to like move from a filmed depiction of someone to just a 2d drawing like sometimes the depth in luke's face looks kind of weird I feel like saying Uncanny Valley might be too extreme, but there's just something a bit off about the people that are explicitly photo-referenced. I was gonna say, um, La Roca is, at many points in this series, directly photo-tracing from the films. There's several, like, panels in the comic that are basically the same aspect ratio as the Star Wars movies and just show shots from the Star Wars movie. Um, when it is a specific moment from the film like when Darth Vader is thinking about something that happened in one of the movies I don't mind it I think that like for example right here we've got um a shot of Vader in his TIE fighter from A New Hope it's a specific moment in A New Hope that he's thinking of and it's very clearly a trace of that but there's other times like the Luke confronting Vader scene from the Star Wars comic where I I'm gonna be honest, I think LaRocca's art is generally fine. I find his faces unnerving. Yeah, like, I've never been a particularly big fan of his style, but this is particularly egregious for me. I think just, it's more the people than anything else. And when I say people, I mean, like, actual uncovered, like, human facial structures and expressions and stuff. But to the comic's benefit, the main character always has a mask on, so Darth Vader looks fine. And like the more fantasy aspects I think look better. Like I like a fair amount of just like the way that Darth Vader's mask is drawn in various circuitries and there's like nice bits of texture worked into his outfit sometimes that are nice. And I think just the fervor it goes into sci-fi, not real people, the more I like looking at it. Yeah, I think the ships always look good. I think Vader always looks really good, especially since LaRocca is frequently able to get, like, this expressionless mask to kind of emote. Like, he, he does a very good job in choosing, like, what shots to do with Vader in what sequence, I think. Like, you can always tell what's going on in Vader's head, even though you can never see his fucking face. That said, I do think the art overall could have been better, at least when it comes to, again, for me, it's mostly the faces. And I can almost, you can almost see that this is something that LaRocca is generally avoiding doing. Like, we've got a page open right now where there's an Imperial officer talking to Vader, and we just don't see the officer's face. And it looks fine. And the, the guy looks fine, I think. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's the faces and some of the photo references, especially on the actors likenesses can come across as quite strange looking but i think he does a very good job with the star wars elements like the bridge to the death star looks just like the one in the movie yeah we're normally very enthusiastic about the art for the comics we pick on this podcast this is the, i think the first time we've been mixed yeah it's at least definitely up there because we've had like other times where we've been like this is good, but could have been even better when we were talking about, like, Steve Ditko being constrained by having five-page stories, you know, versus this. I also realized as we were talking, I made a mistake on the creative team roll call. I called Delgado. I think I said he was the inker, but he's not. He's the colorist. 
And the reason that came to mind was I want to specifically talk about the colors and that when the coloration is at its best, I think it makes for the best visuals in the series because of just like the way they sort of help elevate the line work in texture and depth. And for example, just like the contrasts of when there's a lightsaber out that shit pops like the color just really looks like it's glowing on the page in a way that helps like it stand out against the relatively duller comparatively rest of the coloration in the background you know the I suppose like the saturation or just like the contrast and hues used I think like works good with the lightsabers you also get I think it's important how much is done in making sure the light pops really nicely on Darth Vader himself, on his helmet, on his cape, and then sometimes we get some good shots of just like the lever of his gloves and stuff like that that just makes everything feel more elevated and three-dimensional in a way that I like. Yeah, there's especially a lot of like lighting done with the color uh you'll have like lamps in a ceiling and you'll see the beams of light coming down and it's not something that was in the inks it's just added with the colors and like a lot of lighting effects that i think are very effective um the the colors are really good um moving forward with the brief plot summary we find out that uh the reason vader had gone to see jabba was to get his two best um bounty hunters for a mission uh, specifically in this case, uh, Boba Fett, who everyone knows, probably he just had a terrible TV show, and Black Chrysanthemum, who actually was in that terrible TV show in his first live-action appearance, and was one of the few things I enjoyed, unironically, um, who is, imagine, evil Chewbacca. Yeah, that's what he looks like, and that's all I get, is just evil Chewbacca. <laughs> nice and simple concept. Um... So, Boba is sent to find the mysterious pilot who destroyed the Death Star and has Anakin's lightsaber. Goodness knows why Obi-Wan was hanging out on Tatooine, you know, right near the frickin' farm that Darth Vader's brother lived on and then briefly later got murdered on with someone who has force powers and has his lightsaber. Wonder who that could be. I feel like Vader's just being obtuse here. Like, I, I, you'd think he just put the pieces together now, but clearly he'd wound up having a kid he didn't know about. Like, why else would Obi-Wan give him specifically Anakin's lightsaber? Um, and then Chrysanthemum is sent to figure out uh, what's up with the guy with the half-reptile, half-robot face. Um, and we get a reveal that Vader has apparently spent his brief time on Tatooine when he's not busy doing other shit, massacring sand people en masse they are I, I think it's fair to say this after book of boba fett really does push this angle on them the indigenous people of tatooine and um this is a callback to when anakin did this back in uh, attack of the clones because a group of like sand people were responsible for the death of his mother and i guess that just means vader's a racist now he hates all of them to Do they give these people any other sort of name? Because, like, I know that sand people is, like, an actual term the franchise uses, but I'm just like, wow, that sounds fucking racist. You know, like, it just sounds so specific. It just sounds so specifically similar to, like, actual, real-world, horrible way of referring to people that I'm just like, yikes. Not one that I can think of. 
it, there may have been something in Book of Boba Fett that I have blocked out, but um, no. Oh God, I just I just feel like a different choice could have been made in yeah. in this whole thing. Um, I will say up until the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett TV shows. I wouldn't have described the Sand People that way because I wouldn't have really known what their deal is. Because whenever they show up in the movies, they're just, like, shooting at people or kidnapping them, and I'm like, I don't know why they wear all that stuff or, like, what's underneath there and what kind of aliens they are, but uh, in the context of those shows, the metaphor is very clear. So, yeah. Another problem with those shows, they should have fixed that and given them a proper name if they were gonna go there with it. Um, So that's the end of the issue. (laughs) The end of the issue, we find out the main characters are fucking racist. Moving on to issue two, Vader rescues some Imperial guys who are in trouble from a robotically piloted um, ship. Uh, This is starting to slowly set up my personal favorite Disney era Star Wars character who will be introduced next issue. Um, and Vader has a conversation with General Taj, who, uh, basically lords it over that he's now in charge over Vader. Um, he's assigned a guy to keep an eye on Vader and has decided to send Vader on a mission to figure out what's up with the robot ship, droid piloted ship or whatever. So Vader takes some guys and fights some droids that have clearly been upgraded and are, like, especially dangerous, but they manage to get out of there. Vader frames the guy who is watching him closely uh, for Taj because he had, like, found out about Vader hiring the bounty hunters um, so that he had an excuse to kill the guy and also stop Taj from assigning people to watch him so closely by making it clear that he's just going to get them all killed on purpose if they cause him any problems. Um, It's a pretty solid issue of Vader maneuvering himself into an advantageous position, but... I don't know, is there anything from that issue you wanted to especially talk about? Not really. It's the expansion of the cast in issue free where I start to actually like any of the characters on page. Alright, speaking of which, issue three, we head over there to... Sorry. Once again, dealing with Marvel Unlimited's absolutely ridiculous idea that if I have completely read an issue and then I open it again, I really want to look at the last page of the comic. Obviously, that is the thing I want to see. Every time I open an issue that I have read before, I'm I'm just trying to find out how it ended. If I'm yeah. halfway through it, save that. I, I, you don't need to save me being on the last page. Anyway, we open issue three with the introduction of, as I said, my favorite Disney-era Star Wars character, Dr. Aphra. She is... Um, I'm going to boil down the essential concept. She is what if... Indiana Jones was in the Star Wars universe, you know, adventuring archaeologist who basically uses, in this case, her archaeology degree to hunt down, like, old artifacts that are incredibly dangerous, except Dr. Aphra has absolutely no moral compass whatsoever, making her a perfect ally for Darth Vader, and she's introduced here, recreating in large part the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I know you've not seen, but this is an extremely famous uh, movie sequence. Um, So she is breaking into like a high-tech vault because it's Star Wars, and even if it's really old shit, it's still really high-tech. They've had 
interstellar drives for like thousands and thousands and thousands of years in fact technology seems stagnant in the star wars universe because you cut back to like three thousand years ago and it's all the same shit everyone has a lightsaber and a spaceship it doesn't really mean anything to them at this point in like technological development there's no real improvements but she breaks in sneaks out with the microchip essentially that she was looking for and then winds up triggering an alarm running dodging laser bolts being fired at her instead of the darts that were being fired indiana jones in the movie and then is chased by another droid that is one of those star wars droids uh i think it's called a droidica that rolls into a big ball and rolls after you this is an especially large one with its force field up because it is meant to be a joke on the giant boulder that chases indiana jones down the temple like as he's escaping at the beginning of raiders of the lost ark i assume you know what some of that was referring to indiana jones is harrison ford right yeah so he's like one of the main main guys in both of them yes and they're both written by george lucas oh okay the lucas connection then okay that's more direct okay i did not know there was that many connections between the two i guess would explain then to me why they would think to do this far of a reference of indiana jones and star wars um well if you so if you read further in the series and if it's not already clear from the presence of evil chewbacca but darth vader basically builds an evil version of the millennium falcon crew to work with him so it's um he is the evil luke obviously and black chrysanthemum is evil chewbacca dr afra is the evil han solo um she is the rogue who isn't necessarily allied with him except for out of convenience she's the con artist who's been slumming around the galaxy and she's got with her well she will soon introduce us to uh, your favorite characters for sure the evil c-3po and the evil r2d2 there is another character who is kind of the analogy for evil princess leia um, but she doesn't like actively join this little team because she's like a diplomat but she's like the imperial equivalent of the princess leia stuff so but that's like the whole sort of subtle gist but here again referencing indiana jones she barely escapes from the giant boulder only to be uh surrounded by more droids led by a rival archaeologist who in this case is like um this is this is my favorite bit right here the rival archaeologist character says there's a reason the triple zero matrix has been quarantined for centuries um because its intention is to put it right back where it was and to keep it safe uh, because the triple zero matrix as we will find out is an incredibly dangerous droid mind um and afra says yes because of people like you small minds who just want to hide beautiful things in storage or a museum it should be in an armory a joke on the indiana jones line where he is attacking a private collector for a like artifact and he declares that it should be in a museum so just in case you didn't get it she's indiana jones that's the whole joke um she's also great and she has now had a solo series consistently since this book ended which is kind of shocking considering most characters who are in the movies will get like a couple mini series to themselves 
but she's just a huge breakout character for these comics. So she's rescued from the situation by Darth Vader, who of course just slaughters everyone in sight. She literally leaps off of one of those bizarre Star Wars they have no OSHA compliance endless abysses to grab the triple zero matrix and prevent it from like falling and being lost forever and like barely holds on because she's like that determined to get her hands on it um and vader offers her a hand up and says he has need of her um back on her ship she basically can't stop talking and asking darth vader questions that he has no interest in answering um including why he wants her or how he found her uh, where we get a little montage of him just brutalizing a bunch of people to get information out of them. Uh, it's a very funny four, four panels of Vader just force choking people or throwing them off of buildings. Uh, so the Triple Zero Protocol Personality Matrix apparently had a few bugs, twitchy coupling neurocybernetic glitches, and a tendency to drain organics to collect their blood. Just to continue building up the character we're about to be introduced to here. The highlight of the series. So she finishes preparing this. Um, so if you've seen Star Wars or you know what C-3PO looks like. Well, Triple Zero, once he's activated and inside a body, is an all black or I guess really dark gray C-3PO. The exact same body, but then with glowing red eyes instead of like the white eyes. Um, so just for the visual here, I, I imagine the voice is the same as well. It contributes to the gag of just having it be looking exactly the same. Like, I don't think the character would work as well if it was, like, a new robot design. Like, I think part of the charm is that it is the little flaming queen robot, like, archetype, but just now murderous. Yeah, the personality is pretty much identical, except he also wants to murder everyone in sight and torture them to death. So they activate the robot and he opens with, Oh, hello, I'm 000, or triple zero if you prefer. I'm a protocol droid specialized in etiquette, customs, translation, and torture, ma'am. Charmed to meet you, I'm sure. And he reaches out to shake their hands. Um, and she says, override input master on all individuals present, codename Afra and codename Vader. At which point triple zero says, ah, Better not shake hands then. May route a fatal shock through my palm. Old habits die hard and all that. And in my experience, they certainly die harder mo than most organics, ma'am. As there's no one here to murder presently, how may I be of assistance? Just wakes up and immediately right out the gate tries to kill them. It's great. In her solo series, Triple Zero is basically the main villain because he keeps trying to murder her. Uh, just to sell you on reading Dr. Aphra's solo series, there is a lot of these droids. Um, speaking of which, they needed- she needed Triple Zero to help her activate BT. He has a distinct design from R2-D2, this isn't like the exact same, like, look of R2, but it's very clearly the same kind of little, you know, bin on wheels that R2-D2 is designed, except this is a specialized assassin robot who is only disguised as a protocol droid, and as soon as he is activated, he whips out a, it looks like a machine gun, a couple flamethrower attachments, a whole bunch of, like, blaster points, and then, is that a missile launcher, would you say, on its shoulder? Yeah, like a mini missile launcher, probably. This is the war machine of R2-D2s. As in, like, War Machine, the Iron Man character. Yeah. 
and then we just get triple zero going no bt1 no you can't possibly do that they are our masters also who would clean up the mess uh the droids are fantastic so basically um afra who is relieved that she has survived activating these droids asks what vader wants and so vader says there was a time i had armies at my beck and call that time has passed i need resources of my own private resources uh, at which point Afra realizes, at least for now, that Vader is probably going to manage to keep her busy. Like, the thing about Afra is she's always trying to, like, get into trouble and discover, like, new horrible ways to be successful. And she's been running around, like, making assassin droids and stuff and, and finding old antique weapons for drug cartels and you know star wars crime organizations but like doing it for vader is clearly going to be a lot more interesting and dangerous so she's down at which point she figures out that like so the best way to get him like a quick army of droids that are gonna be completely loyal and a powerful battle droids is by going to genosis which you've seen attack of the clones right that's star wars episode two not since it was in feeders and i remember nothing uh well genosis is the planet from the end of that where the clone wars broke out it's also where anakin like first kisses padme and they officially get together the movie's terrible but like i guess the slight additional context of if you are a star wars fan you know what genosis is and that it's like a weirdly personal place for darth vader at this point in his life after so many years of presumably being able to ignore Anakin shit because I doubt he's been to places like Genosis, Naboo, or Tatooine until this series is forcing him to go to two of them. So then we're heading into the next issue, of course, the last page. Uh, this one, you had not seen Aliens until a few hours after you read this issue? Something like that? Like... I read them within the same span of, like, 24 hours. Um, this issue is an Aliens riff. So, Attack of the Clones, back in the, like, early 2000s, the prequel movies, um, the droid armies that the Separatists used who are, like, rebelling against the Galactic Republic in those movies were, like, Genosian droids. Um, so, like, the Star Wars battle droids, the ones that, like, kind of weird, sticky, buggy-looking things... You know, Roger, Roger, those guys, they're from Genosis, so this is why they're going there. Um, and we open finding out that apparently since becoming the Empire, or since the Republic became the Empire, they decided to gas bomb the entire planet, killing every single Genosian and sterilizing the queens, because you apparently can't kill Genosian queens. Genosians are bug aliens. I don't think before this comic it was established that they had queens. But thanks to aliens, the trope of a buggish-looking alien having a, like, hive set up with a big queen that lays eggs that they all hatch out of is such a trope that you just kind of expect it. Yeah, like, the queen is definitely the most memorable part of this issue for me. I always just appreciate monstrous birthing and just the spectacle of Oh God just like the alien just being a monster factory yeah so we get a brief uh traced panel from attack of the clones as vader remembers what was 
his first kiss with his dead wife. Uh, this is sort of setting up a revelation that comes at the end of these six issues that is one of the best moments in the comic for me in terms of like what it does with Vader's character, but we'll, we'll get into that towards the end. So they go into one of the Genosian caves and it's established that the queens were immortal, um, and so in order to continue the race of Genosians, uh, that they feel like a primordial urge to keep the species going, they have turned themselves into droid factories, and are building... The, the droids look kind of like the Genosians, like, apparently the intention was that, like, the droids look like skeletons of Genosians, the way that the Terminator looks like a skeleton of a human, that was, like, what Lucas's design team came up with when designing both things. So these are essentially to the Genosians, this nightmare skeleton army that this queen is just producing. So they send Triple Zero and BT in, and when these wrecked, destroyed Genosian droids show up, Triple uh, Zero goes, Oh my goodness, oh my, and then looks at them and is like, Hello, sirs, I presume you speak Genosian hive mind, a language I'm more than fluent in. Alas, I have nothing to say, but if you will, at which point BT opens fire with his flamethrower and laser bolts and obliterates them. Triple Zero says, thank you. Oh, no, actually, a few words do spring to mind. And then he says in uh, this sort of alien script, but we get a translation. Ha ha ha, you are on fire and also dead. Just ridiculous, just... It's just Camp C-3PO. But with murder. Yeah. Which, I guess just to, like, clarify for myself with, like, the queen and the aliens and the droids. So you mentioned, like, the sterilization. So, like, these aren't her children, right? She's just, like, taking care of them and repairing them as if they were because she doesn't have kids anymore or can't anymore? Yeah, like the i believe what's supposed to have happened is she's kind of gone completely insane because the one thing that she was like supposed to do was produce genosian kids but she hasn't been able to for like a decade or something at this point and this is the substitute that like the biological urge to continue the species is still there i like her weird dramatic head crest where like at the top of her scalp just juts out this giant like half circular i don't even know what you want to call it just gigantic disc of flesh yeah it's very much like the sort of crest that the alien queen has where like the back of the head has this sort of exoskeletal structure coming out even though like her face is kind of fleshy in a way that like alien faces aren't um but the uh, the battle droids that she's producing look like the ones from Phantom Menace, like that original design, but they all have these wings and they're all like wrecked. Um, and but she's doing it. She's plugged into the big machine. It is, if you have seen the end of Aliens, it is very much a visual reference to that. You know, the crested, fleshy creature with like the back end that sort of expands out and balloons out and has tubes leading to eggs. And for some reason, the droids are coming out of eggs. Listeners, if you have any recommendations on alien comics that are actually good, please write in. Now that I have seen those films and I'm ready. Uh, I would love that, actually. I I have been meaning to read alien comics, but have no idea where to start. So 
uh, good ones, and and with the additional note that if an alien thing does not have a female protagonist, I am confused as to why it exists. So no colonial marine stuff, please, unless, I don't know, the main protagonist is a female colonial marine. More female colonial marines. I just... Hashtag equality. the, the, The whole series, like, all of the movies, that's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think, like, I've listened to the audio drama that's the adaptation of the weird Alien 3 script that is set in, like, just a space military base that Ripley is unconscious for the entirety of the thing, and it is a Hicks and Bishop movie, and it was bad. See, now, I liked them for their roles in the movie, they're not the protagonist, and I'm not really interested in seeing them be the protagonist. Yeah, like, you can complain about the way that, like, Alien 3 handled them and by killing them off all you want, but, like, the the other idea was making them the lead role. Like, there's no version of that movie for some reason, but just had Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean in the movie. It was one or the other. Um, and the right choice is always Ripley. And it's always, um... I cannot remember the name of Numi Rapace's character in Prometheus, or, um, well, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead in Alien Covenant, isn't it? Yeah, okay, that's great. Yeah, anyway, uh, moving, moving on, Vader, uh, comes in, and basically there's a big fight with the, uh, queen. She, he immediately slices her off of the, um, big droid-producing, like, egg sack? I don't, what do you call it when it's robot eggs with robot droids in them? Yeah, still just a metallic egg sack. Yeah, and now it's just like when the alien queen is detached from it in Aliens and is now like got the the eight limbs and the screeching. And the following you up on the elevator. Because that's a smart alien. So there's, well, all the other droids basically start getting taken out by BT, which... Why Vader feels the need for an army when he has BT right there, who is obliterating everything in sight very easily? I'm not sure, to be honest. Could at least have an army of- Just, just like, build five more BTs, and you could probably take out the entire Empire in an afternoon, with the amount of damage this fucking droid is pouring out. Uh, so, they take down the ceiling, and they basically pull out- the giant alien producing egg sack so that vader has his own little droid factory that he has control over um and they get away from the queen who is screaming about how her empire is forever and cannot end but like she doesn't even have a droid factory anymore and she's just surrounded by these weird wrecked droids like what the empire has done to this species is obviously just a massive crime against genotion genoshanity yeah yeah like they rebelled against the republic sure but this is horrific beyond belief if you consider the fact that at some point this lady was laying like sentient beings and now she's just been driven to this absolute point of insanity by just the extinction of her entire species so they start producing some of the droids um at which point afro is like well to vader are you planning to kill me now or later? You have a private off-the-grid army for whatever you're planning next. You don't need me anymore. 
I knew my clock was ticking the second you stepped off your TIE Fighter. If I get a choice, I'd like the lightsaber right through the neck. No warning, nice and quick. If I get a veto, ejection into space. Always had nightmares about that. Burr. Uh, she acts, she says, I act glib, but I'm not stupid. The way I've lived, I know I'm lucky to be alive. I'd rather not die, you understand. But I'm happy my blood's doodling the margins of a story worth telling. Um, so Vader responds that she's proved herself resourceful and is safe as long as he has a use for her. But if she tries to blackmail him, she will find her plans confounded and her life at an end. And she reiterates the request that when he does need to kill her, that he should use the lightsaber and not throw her out of an airlock. Triple Zero interrupts, saying, I'm sorry to interrupt, I have a signal from a bounty hunter, and Vader, clearly more interested in whatever Boba Fett is going to find out about the mysterious young man, asks if it's Fett, but it's Black Chrysanthem. Um, so, Chrysanthem has managed to find and capture the, like, part robot, half reptile face man. He says he's not going to talk and tell Vader what's up with him. Vader's like, I could make you talk if I wanted to, but I don't have the time. So he leaves and leaves him with Triple Zero. Triple Zero, who one of his four specialties listed before was torture, remember? And he says, hello, I'm Triple Zero, and I'm looking forward immensely to torturing you today. Interesting upgrades, grafted flesh from multiple species. What pain receptor sensitivity should I assume? Oh, listen to me, fretting away. Ah, uh, I'm sure we'll work it out in time. Now, let's start off your name, eh? It's this horrifying panel on the bottom of the page of just... The, the, again, it's the C-3PO face with the glowing red eyes and like the reflective black surface instead of the gold. Just looking down at you. This is really good. The droids are great. And like now that we're in a, at a point where we're getting faces like maybe every three pages... The art's really good. Like, LaRocca's storytelling, I think, is actually really good. Yeah, I think he's pretty decently talented at, like, composing a comic book page and sort of shifting angles and perspective and line of sight. Like, I think he has pretty solid visual storytelling fundamentals. And, like, a lot of the panels are, like, framed as though they are widescreen, like, shots from a movie. Like, he's very clearly trying to get, like, the Star Wars aesthetic in, like, every aspect of the comic. And I think that aspect of the art works really well. Yeah, like, the way at the top panel on this page, the Darth Vader is, like, mid-billowing as he's walking away. is like, giving the sense of watching the live actor make his dramatic exits, you know. And then we get, like, the door mid-closing... And even though this is just static panels, he's still trying to fit in as much sense of motion as he can. Yeah, we have complained about aspects of the art, but like, credit where credit's due, there's still a lot that is very well done. <laughs> so, Triple Zero comes out later um, and says, I have good news and bad news about the gentleman. Good news, I have great confidence that I have managed to extract all relevant information from... <clears throat> Dr. Silo 4. I know the location of his research base, the nature of his commission from the Emperor, etc, etc. Vader says, then dispose of him. Ah, then I have doubly good news. He's already dead. This droid has just tortured this man to death off panel and has now come in to joyously tell us all. And 
just the personality difference between the two of triple zero being the like bright and bubbly and enthusiastic one and vader just being kind of straight-faced and mostly silent yeah like it's it's a very effective character dynamic because i'm gonna be real here vader's been surrounded by a bunch of goofballs like Affer is relatively toned down at the moment but she's also a very silly character i mean the whole thing right now is mostly an indiana jones joke and like all of this dark humor with triple zero and bt i think offsets the tone of a comic nicely because otherwise you are just reading about a fascist gaining power yeah which like you know the comic at least as i'm reading it i never get the sense that it's like trying to make excuses for vader or like trying to make you sympathize of him like i don't think gillen has any misunderstandings about just like vader's moral compass but then like the question then sort of becomes what do you do in a situation of that sort of character as the protagonist and i think a lot of what makes the book sort of pick up starting an issue free is just sort of having him be a figure that the rest of the story moves around or like, I don't know, maybe that's not what the right way to put it, because he is like the inciting force narratively, but on a character level, like he brings together the rest of the cast that's more actually fun to watch of just the murder droids and everything. Yeah, and he's like the, the essentially the straight man that they all bounce off of um, in their darkly humorous, murderous, amoral antics. Yeah, yeah, I like the just the idea of what does the evil version of the millennium falcon look like and it being this i think it's great like a big part of star wars despite what some people say is the fact that star wars is meant to be really funny and i'm glad that there's so much humor in this it really helps the vader is such an over serious character that you really do need to cut him down to size sometimes and he's almost like over serious to the point of almost becoming a joke himself but by adding in even more ridiculous flamboyant characters, you sort of allow him to stay in serious mode, you know, so that we're not dwelling on just imagining him making his weird breath noises. Yeah, like, I really like the series, but like Vader mostly for this first chunk of the book has killed people or like fought about his dead ex or been pissed at his boss. He's so self-serious and the book has to take him seriously because you can't really make a Darth Vader a joke he has to be like this unstoppable badass because otherwise it isn't really Darth Vader but that's such a difficult thing to make a comic around like doing it this way works it's really fun so um with issue two we head to Dr. Silo 4's base which is a cybically enhanced, cybernetically enhanced, and presumably had a spaceship built into it. Giant space whale. Is it issue five? What number? We are issue five. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I always appreciate a whale monster or like a monster design where it's just some massive creature, like a whale or a turtle, are like the big ones that I see a lot where they are just sci-fi-ified. In this case, it's because half of the body is, like, covered in armor and what look like skyscrapers and shit. 
Like the idea of just like these giant beasts that also have like cities on their back is always an image that I like. Well, I think that this, correct me if I'm wrong, Kieran Gillen, when you listen to our podcast, but I think this might be referencing a Doctor Who episode with an incredibly similar visual. See now, this episode continues to be example after example of the references that you catch that I do not. I mean, maybe not, like, like building a city in a space whale isn't the most original concept, but there was a 2010 Doctor Who episode about a city built on the back of a giant space whale, and yeah... I feel like there's been a lot of, like, specific pulling from other sci-fi franchises and, like, bringing ideas from that into this with all the alien stuff. And, well, I guess Indiana Jones isn't sci-fi, it's fantasy adventure, but, like, doing that. But admittedly, this space whale is a panel. It's kind of irrelevant once we're in there that it's a space whale, but it's sort of setting up that Silo, aside from just, like, having given himself a half-reptile face and robot bits generally speaking really likes building robot fits into things like his whole deal is just enhancing stuff artificially yeah i always just like that sort of mechanical androidy mixing into things that like aren't human of just getting to see that mishmash extended into other sorts of life forms um so the boarding mission is prepared and they like fire off a boarding torpedo at which point Aphra says, Lord Vader, may the force be with you. And then mutters to herself, this is the greatest job of my life. Um, because Aphra is just here to have fun. Hanging out with, again, the murderous, like, fascist enforcer man. <laughs> Aphra's so fucked up. Uh, basically, they board the ship. Um, and we have this shot of a whole bunch of, like, guards uh, set up at a door that's being sliced through and the implication is that like vader's gonna be behind the door the door falls down and triple zero runs through shouting don't shoot please don't shoot the guard says identify yourself what are you doing and triple zero comes out says i am triple zero and oh this is so tricky so many languages what is the word again bt comes up behind and goes bleep bleep bloop in like these big red letters so um we've never had BT or triple zero in live action or animation yet, which is a crime. But I guess that probably just sounds pretty much exactly like R2D2. I think that the joke is funnier if he sounds exactly the same and not like Mina. Um, at which point triple zero responds, Ah, yes, that's the one. Thank you. I'm a distraction. While Vader's lightsaber cuts through the space whale flesh that is behind these soldiers, and Vader comes out. And they all, because Vader has just cut through the side of the space whale from outer space, they all get sucked out. Like the alien queen, or um, that one guy in Avengers Infinity War, into the vacuum of space. The, there's even just a panel from the outside of just all of their bodies just getting flung out. Apparently the space whale can heal from this because the vent reseals and everything's fine a second later. And... Uh, the droids and shit were magnetized so they didn't fly out. Uh, we get another great triple zero line here as he's ordered to open the door by Darth Vader. And he says, I have had more grateful masters. Uh, BT bleeps loudly. No, it didn't stop me killing them and draining their blood. I'm not sure what to, that has to do with anything, BT. Politeness costs nothing. 
Vader marches in here with his giant art, like his small army of robots, sending them off to attack and destroy everything that he sees. Um, and then there's two mysterious human-looking people. Who knows if they're actually like some kind of alien or not? I've never figured out why humans are called humans in Star Wars, or like which Star Wars planet are human beings from, and why are they everywhere? And then every other species has like a planet that you can point to and say that is the planet that almost all of them were born on. I guess humans are colonizing bastards in every galaxy. Um, so they're losing contact with the robots and they see a whole bunch that have been destroyed and one of them is being thrown by what looks suspiciously like a force push and these weird people, like they've got robes on, they look a lot like Jedi, frankly. You know, they've got a brown cloak on and the tunic and all that shit. Um, and they're like, oh, this isn't a test. That's Darth Vader at last. And the guy reaches out and is like, it looks like he's using the force. But Darth Vader says, oh, that's not the force. That's some kind of trickery. You don't have the force. I can't feel the force with you. You're not Jedi or Sith. What are you? And like, they're jumping around and doing like, Jedi jumping shit, but they've got like rockets on their boots. Um, I guess at this point it's pretty clear they've been cybernetically enhanced by Dr. Silo to be like potential Darth Vader replacements. Spoiler alert. The whole idea is that the Emperor's like, I don't really want an apprentice who's going to kill me someday. I just want someone who's powerful to be my enforcer. And frankly, Vader's getting shit at that anyway. So I might as well try out some other ideas. And then Dr. Silo walks in. Uh, we find out immediately this is not Silo 4. This is Silo 5. Because apparently every time one of his bodies dies, he just pops another cloned version of himself out of a vat. In hindsight, this feels like setup for The Rise of Skywalker, and I hate it. It's what the Emperor did in that movie. Is that episode 9? Yep. That's the one I have not seen. You're lucky. Don't see it, it's bad. And it will make you dislike Star Wars. Like, reading this, I was like, oh, I like Star Wars, and then I just... Something like this comes along that even smells like Episode Nine, and I'm like, oh, it's all just leading to that. I forgot. And I feel bad. Like, the prequels, at least they led into the good movies. Like, it was always like, at least it all ends in a good movie. And now it doesn't, and it's really annoying. And doesn't feel right so we get a shot of the full group of silos like replacements there's a lady in goggles with like a bunch of little floating um if you see in the original star wars movie there's like this training droid that like fires little laser bolts that floats in the air it's like a little ball it's a bunch of those looking things a bit different but basically the same thing a giant reptile alien um I cannot remember the name of the species, but like the one from the movies of that species that people would know as Bosk, who's one of the bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back. So one of Bosk's people. A robot skeletal guy who looks a lot like General Grievous from the Clone Wars TV show animations and episode three, but his head is the same as... Um, Admiral Akbar's species, the name of which I cannot currently remember, but they're the squid-looking ones. Admiral Akbar is like, it's a trap guy! So it's like that guy, but on, like, a nightmare robot body. And then the two people who are, like, the faux Jedi. 
who are Vader's potential replacements. And none of them are possible to take seriously as possible replacements. Just, no one's Darth Vader. He's gonna whoop their asses. Yeah, gonna be honest, these guys all kind of suck. And I will say, they seem like a big deal for, like, these two issues. But going forward into the series, none of them really cause Vader any real problems. Shocking, I know. Sounds about right. He's mostly just confused by them right now. It doesn't help that none of them have, like, really distinct designs. Like, they all just look, like, made to die, honestly. Like, there's a generic reptile man. There's some humans. None of them really look all that distinct, which is, I suppose, just part of the point of none of these are actually going to be able to fill in Darth Vader's place. They're just sort of, like, literally half-assed attempts at making a new helper for the Emperor. Yeah, well, and then, like... The one that just looks like Bosk just looks like Bosk. You know, it's it's they're all recycling existing Star Wars visuals, which is, like, what Silo is doing is grafting things onto other things to make them, like, quote-unquote more deadly and dangerous. So I think it the designs make sense when it is, oh, no, he, he literally just has done this. Like, they established that, like, the guy who just looks like General Grievous from the other movies, but with Admiral Akbar's head, is just a guy from Admiral Akbar's species who has been given a General Grievous body. Like, they're exactly as half-assed as they look, like, in the comic. I, I think the designs work on that level, but also, like, yeah, they're kind of lifeless because of that. Like, the, the narrative has gotten in the way of making these characters, like, cool new characters, in the way that, like, Afra, BT, and Triple Zero are cool new characters, I would say. And even managed to do so in at least, like, two of their cases while still being so visually similar to established ones. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it does help that Triple Zero and BT are, like, the comedy characters, so having them be, like, even more comedic riffs on existing comedy characters i think works in a way that like general grievous had like a skull head with the like lizard eyes sort of sunken inside them and this guy just has the same head as the squid man who shouts it's a trap i can't take him seriously yeah i know that's that's not a threat uh so vader's just like okay yeah enough of this shit this is blasphemous to my Sif religion apparently <laughs> I'm, I'm okay i guess the Sif care about this kind of thing and it's gonna kill silo when the emperor shows up and is like uh yeah no don't do that um and so we're set up that vader is now going to have to fight all of these people to the death heading into issue number six so they're all coming at him with their like even their lightsabers seem a little off. Like, so they the, the two ones who look like Jedi knockoffs and have, like, knockoff force powers have lightsabers, and, like, one of them's orange and one of them's green. And if you look at them in the comic, they're, like, thinner than Vader's lightsaber is. And, like, it seems like even these are just kind of not the real thing. Yeah, uh, they're, they're little and teeny. Yeah, like, just looking at them in, like, the panel, they're, they're the same distance from the, like, page or whatever into the page as Vader is, and the weapons just look worse. Um, but it's just like, oh yeah, okay, so these have been 
genetically and cybernetically enhanced and training for years to be essentially faux Jedi. The Bosk alien... I should have googled this guy's name, this species name before. Oh, Trandoshan, they say it here. Bosk is a Trandoshan. They're the big tall reptile ones. It's like some kind of AI personality that can be plugged into any species. Apparently it can get like plugged into anything up to as big as a Rancor. Uh, a Rancor is um, the, the big two-legged sort of monster thing that lives in Jabba the Hutt's basement that Luke Skywalker fights in Return of the Jedi. Um, the lady's got like a mental connection to all of these like drones and apparently she's like really loyal to the Emperor because most of her like scientist friends were on the Death Star and worked on that and died when that got blown up so she's all like hey what about revenge and fusing myself with robotics to control an army of laser drones that Darth Vader is just able to deflect and throw at me with the force like none of them manage to succeed in attacking him in this little sequence like they get taken down really easily to include just like with the next one I think he's just twirling his lightsaber so fast that it effectively looks like a shield yeah yeah that's the thing that General Grievous did in the movie it's very just like you thought you could replace me you could not so yeah but during the fight uh vader is being attacked by like the reptile man and one of the jedi twins kills the trandoshan the bosk one instead of vader because the only reason i save you is in the long term the old model is less of a threat than the new Ah, uh, but Vader is pissed off because you interfered, that life was mine to take. It's pretty clear that Vader just doesn't respect any of them in the slightest, and he's right to. These guys are lame. They're just boring. Like, the whole deal is that they're knockoffs, but yeah, they're they're just knockoffs. And lizard man aside, the knockoffs just come to a momentary halt and they're fighting at Palpatine's orders. And it just repeats, I only need one of you. Don't keep just slaying each other, but if you do, do it out of my sight. Just keep growing on your own as rivals, I guess. Yeah, he's very much, like, during the, the uh, prequel trilogy, Palpatine goes through three apprentices, and, like, he, he likes pitting people against each other, uh, but, like, for his favor, that's his whole deal. So, like, this does make sense as a thing that he would do, and I guess in-universe it makes sense to do, like, this, well, take useful bits from different things technology. But the end result is, like, there is the clearly actually competent Darth Vader, and then these losers. Vader is still, like, religiously offended by them. Um, he calls them abominations. This is heresy. But basically, uh, Palpatine's like, yeah, you're no fucking different from them in terms of, like, being half robot so shut the fuck up which is like very true like it's it's sort of vaguely established that anakin would be the most powerful force user ever but because he got burnt half to death and sliced all of his limbs sliced off and now he's like half machine he doesn't have like the connection to the force because the force is like connected to living things which is, like, the sort of vague in-universe explanation as to why, like, even though Anakin is the chosen, like, essentially the Force Messiah, he's not, like, 
he does more cool shit in the prequel movies than he does in the original trilogy and that's kind of why and palpatine's basically just sort of complaining about that here but vader's pissed mostly because the the twins especially have been getting trained for 20 years and he realizes that the emperor has been considering replacing him literally the exact same length of time that he has been the vader's apprentice uh he has been the emperor's apprentice palpatine says the dark side is strength if they defeat you they are stronger if you defeat them you prove you are this is the way of the sith i named you vader after you pledged yourself to the sith you proved yourself worthy of it then i'm certain you will prove yourself worthy now so they leave and vader is like clearly pissed and frustrated with the situation there's not really anything he can do to get rid of silo at this point um so he flies off and afra tells him that she got a message from boba fett he caught up with the boy and wants to report so we cut to later and boba fett has arrived on like vader's command deck i lost him that is most disappointing he got lucky did you bring me anything of value bounty hunter not much just his name skywalker and we just get this shot of the back of vader's head that's like completely silent and then boba fett walking away saying we're done here then and we get these little um it is it is the it's the face issue again but these are like traced panels from like the movie where padme is telling anakin that he's pregnant at which point vader's fist clenches and he thinks about later in that movie when he asks uh palpatine after like he he like choked padme with the force at one point in the movie and like she goes unconscious before his big fight with obi-wan which he gets like burnt to a crisp afterwards and after he'd been like reconstructing to vader the first thing he asks palpatine is where is padme is she safe is she all right and palpatine's like i'm afraid she died it seems in your anger you killed her and as vader thinks about this uh cracks start appearing in the glass around him his fish fist tends to his, yeah. his fist clenches tighter uh with like the motion lines like you can see like that it's he's using the force right now and in his anger has like everything around him is just damaged and destroyed and he just says skywalker because he's realized that he does in fact have a son and his son is the enemy that he has been searching for this whole time and he goes and calls up the emperor and this is um okay several panels of this are just like traced from empire strikes back um especially that one it's kind of the weirdness that sometimes the worker does this and i, I it, it's really noticeable if you're me and you've seen these movies more time than any reasonable human should have but basically he makes it very clear to the emperor that he is incredibly pissed at him but he wouldn't have vader any uh, any other way he insists he will not fail and i understand us precisely um and the end of the comic is vader looking out the shattered window saying i have a son he will be mine it will all be mine as vader is finally pissed off enough with the emperor to decide that he is going to orchestrate a takeover and that wraps up this opening six issues yeah uh any any thoughts anything you wanted to talk about I think these are made for you much more than they are made for me. That's fair. It's very Star Wars nerd-heavy, like, stuff. Yeah, which, like, it still does a good enough job in execution of, like, being readable and being able to follow without, like, having a Wikipedia page open or anything like that. 
and like you know i like the murder droids and dr afra seems like she has potential as a character the comic doesn't really grab me to be entirely honest like it doesn't make me go oh my god i have to keep reading you know but (laughs) it's also hard for me to imagine me being particularly more into a star wars comic than i am into this one just in terms of you know i am not the audience for this but this seems pretty solid for what it is yeah that's that's an entirely fair takeaway i um i knew this would probably be the hardest sell going in because <laughs> this is uh as all star wars expanded media is uh designed for people who again have like watched those movies an unreasonable number of times the exact people who are going to be looking at this panel of darth vader and going well that's from like the third to last shot in revenge of the sith why did LaRocca just trace that for this one shot of vader looking at a spaceship he's done lots of other shots of vader that weren't traced but yeah i think that like acknowledging that i i really like this obviously i picked it i have the big deluxe edition of both volumes my first one signed by kieran gillen because i'm like this is good i do think the highlights are like the second half um certainly the way that like the veda after relationship evolves um i guess spoiler alert for the rest of the series he does eventually decide to kill her so of course because vader is an asshole he's like ah yes she really didn't want to die by being launched out an airlock so that's what i'll do but you know the plot twist is she knew he would so she has a spaceship that she'd hired waiting out there to immediately pick her up and fly her away and she gets away yeah like stuff like that the um if you're if you're a a star wars fanboy i i highly recommend this one also the charles soul darth vader run is pretty good if you want like vader in the immediate aftermath of avenger the sith going wait hang on what the fuck was i thinking why why did i decide to become a fascist holy shit my whole life is over um and like basically him becoming the vader that we like no one love isn't the right term that that we know and like watching in in movies as a cool villain yeah yeah like designs don't get much more iconic you know he's just always fun to look at when you're reading the book like the dialogue's really well done. Like, you can hear it all when you read it in, like, James Earl Jones's voice. Um, for Vader especially. I think that... Uh, I should have done an Emperor impression for the Emperor lines that I read, honestly. Because, again, I think you can really hear, like, Ian McDermott's... Oh, I'm afraid she died in your anger. You killed her. Thing that he does when he's in the full makeup. This is very well executed Star Wars comic. There are a million and a half Star Wars comics and there always will be. I'm sure at some point I will pick something else that is Star Wars, probably with more of Triple Zero and BT-1 because they should be a bigger part of this franchise. The fact that they and Dr. Aphra have not shown up in these ridiculous and bad live action shows they've been doing is genuinely weird and also would be the way to get me on board with them again yeah if you if you pick more star wars having triple zero will be the way to curry favor with me um there is a dr afra and like the main star wars comic crossover that has space vampires that could be okay 
It's called the Screaming Citadel. It's like appropriately dramatic. I'm fairly certain Triple Zero is in that one too because it's it's like Doctor Aphra's comic that's crossing over. Um, but somewhat hilariously, Luke is into Aphra because Luke has the absolute worst taste in women. Because so far in like Disney canon, it has been his sister and the evil amoral lesbian. Sounds very healthy. Yeah, no, Luke is an idiot. <laughs> With that said, though, do you have any more final thoughts before I transition us into next week? Nope, I'm ready to hear it. So we're going from something for which you are the audience to something for which I am the audience. But by this time next week, you will have also become the audience and become obsessed with because I'm introducing you to sports manga and we'll be reading volume one of Blue Lock by Munoyuki Kaneshiro and Yusuke Nomura. Uh, This is available in both print and digital from Kodansha. Uh, The print edition finally just came out in English after it was digital only for a while. And this is specifically soccer manga. Soccer as in football, as in what every other country but our own shithole country calls it. It's football. It's football. But yeah, we are going to be diving into sports manga. And I know you've told me you have read absolutely none. And by this time next week, I look forward to you telling me the epiphany you've had about what an incredible genre this is. This is my third manga let alone, like, my third sports manga. <laughs> like, not even not even manga that I've read. This is the third volume of manga that I will have read. I have read the equivalent so far of two trade paperbacks of manga. And judging by how you felt about Requiem, I think I'm already getting you hooked now, aren't I? Wait, no, sorry, three. There was a spider manga. I have read three trades of manga. And they were all bangers, weren't they? This is true. You're cherry-picking the best of the medium. <laughs> And there's more to come. I just don't have the shelf space for a manga obsession. It's bad enough. Neither do I, but I found a way. (laughs) I need a place to put all of my X-Men comics. I can't do this. But yeah, next week, uh, if you want to catch up with us, read Blue Lock Volume 1. And we'll see you then. Uh, Thank you for listening, and bye. Bye, everyone. Oh, 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 oh.